Hunting is not easy. It never has been. It takes dedication, motivation, a lot of patience, and quality gear. If you manage a food plot, put up stands, or need just one more game camera, we can help at MidwayUSA.com. We opened our doors in 1977 and continue to put customers first by offering super fast, same day shipping. For just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. When it comes to hunting boots, how many pairs does one man need? Well, how many seasons are there? Turkey season? Deer season? Duck season? Dove season? Honey, how many pairs of boots does one man need? At least one more pair. For just about everything for hunting, go to MidwayUSA.com. I'm Larry Potterfield with Midway USA. Thanks for your business. Welcome to episode 63 of the Whitetail Distraction Podcast. My name's Austin, and joining me on my porch is Chuck. How you doing, buddy? Doing good, man. Like we said, we're back. We're back. We're back. We're back. We promised episodes. We and did. here they come. And the first one is a good urn. It is a good urn, man. It's a little late. It's a turkey episode, guys. That's all right, you know. I'm sorry. I should have got it out during turkey season. You guys would have loved it that much more. This is going to make me miss turkey again. I'm going to cry during this episode when I listen back. You know that? I'm sorry. I'm going to cry. I'm sorry. Plus, I mean, the guest. He's awesome. Locks the man. He's really, well, you said it. It it is Lock Wheeler. They're going to see it on the episode. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We do it every time. It's like suspenseful. I'm like, wait. They have to click on his name to get here. Yeah. Okay. It's Lock Wheeler. It's Lock Wheeler. With Scree Gear. With Scree Gear. Yeah. And you know what? He put out an awesome episode with us. Great dude. Super easy to talk to. You guys are going to love it. Yep. Locks the man. Uh, very knowledgeable mm-hmm. with turkey. Very, very knowledgeable. Yep. And he does a ton of research. He knows a lot of people that do research. This guy is the person you want to reach out to if you ever have one of those difficult turkey questions or conservation questions. Locke was a lot of fun to talk to. Yeah. Locke, sorry that took so long, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks my for bad. coming on, man. <laughs> we do appreciate you coming on. Uh, we do apologize. We didn't get this out on time. I know there was also like a giveaway during that time and sorry, man, we try to blow it up on, on our, at least on our page and stuff to kind of help you guys out. Cause I wish I would have won that Turkey giveaway. They probably pulled my name and they're like, Nope, episode's not out yet. <laughs> Throw that guy's name back. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely what happened. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. Hey, I just got back from lunch. Did you finish that report yet? Uh, well... Not exactly. Um, still working on it. I'm not finished just yet. Uh, I got a little sidetracked, but I will get them to you first thing this afternoon. <laughs> it is first thing this afternoon. Well, yeah, I, I understand that, but I mean, I, I am working on it. What do you mean that the report isn't finished yet? I'm, I'm still in the process of working on it. I've just been a little distracted. Just distracted? Our meeting starts in an hour. Have it. You, you no no. What were you doing? Were you listening to another hunting podcast again? I swear, I give the staff in this office the freedom to do whatever they want to do as long as they meet a deadline. That is the first bullet underneath your job description. Pays attention to detail and deadline and deadline. Dude, are you even listening to me right now? 
All right, guys, on the phone with us today, we have a little southern treat for you. We have a man by the name of Locke Wheeler. He reigns out of Louisiana. He's a big-time turkey slayer, and he may kill deer occasionally as well, huh? But Locke, how you doing, man? I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Hey, we are happy to have you on. I've been looking forward to this one now for a couple weeks. I think yeah. uh, I think Austin. Uh, sorry, and I, I delayed that. No, no. that's okay. My sinuses <laughs> have been killing me, man. I didn't want to get on here and, and cough up a storm and run people off before they ever heard the episode. So no, much appreciated, man. Man, I will tell you what: turkey is definitely on Austin's and I's mind. I mean, we cannot get it out of our heads. Yeah, I man, it's um, I, I get the conservation side of me wishes that so. I, I, it's not every state in the South. It's just you know, Florida opens early, obviously, but uh, Mississippi's open. Alabama typically opens the same time, but it's pushed back a week. And Louisiana and Arkansas, they've all pushed their seasons back to April. So the conservationist in me wishes that we would push back a little bit because I, I do think that, um, you know, we need to scale back and pay attention to our numbers a little bit better. And if you follow me along on, on, on the Strutcast and mm-hmm. any other podcast I've done, you'll hear me with those opinions. I, I have strong ones about all that. But, uh, you know, but again, I don't want to go all the way to May like you guys have to. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then, and I'm not really complaining because, uh, I, I do go out and partake in the, this, uh, March season. And, you know, we typically have pretty good hunting, but nature seems to take care of itself. Uh, it's early and, um, this year has been a little bit different because in years past, I know I've made note myself the last couple of years, it's stayed pretty cool. And the spring has been a little, I don't want to say late, but you know, it was kind of later in March before it really started to pop. And this year we've had temperatures like today, I think it got up about 78, 79 degrees and it's been staying in the seventies all week and it's really greening up. So, um, you know, they're getting going, but again, to my previous statement, nature tends to take care of itself. Turkeys are the, some of those young two year olds can, can kind of be stupid, but they're pretty flocked up this early. You know, there are no nesting hens. And so you have traditionally speaking, there's an exception to every rule, but by majority, these early season hunts down here, you got a, a kind of a small window early on to to really get a bird because he's not going to spend very much time and he's not going to be very vocal for very long before he gets in a big flock and they pretty much stay together all day this early in the year because like I said none of those hens are going off to nest they're uh, they're still really early on in the cycle so um, it's it's fun to get out there and hear them gobble and be able to get in the woods but it's not the easiest hunting it really starts to break loose about the end of the mo- month first of April when those birds start to free up throughout the day and that kind of thing yeah no I totally get you man um, I want to bring you back for just one second because typically Charles does this and uh, I'm just going to do it for him because <laughs> <laughs> I know we didn't do it but Super good info, but I want to take it back to you a little bit. I want to see okay. who you are, where you're from, what you do for a living. For the people that don't know who you are, I know yeah. he, he said you're from Louisiana and whatnot, but give yeah. the people who you are a um, little bit. I'm actually originally from Mississippi, okay, and I I live in Louisiana, but I'm right on the border. I'm, I only live about 50 miles from my hometown in Southwest Mississippi, and uh, reside here in Louisiana now. But um, you know, I, I was born and raised down here, and 
turkey hunting is something that I've been doing along with deer hunting since I was, you know, old enough to, to, to be drug out in the woods by my dad and, 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 you know, just other men in my life. And, um, you know, I'm married. I have two, two boys, 11 and nine years old. And, um, I, I work for a full time. I'm actually an, uh, an IT professional and I run a media and consulting, technical consulting business as well. Uh, do a lot of website and media, uh, marketing work. But, uh, as far as the outdoor industry goes, um, I work for Scree. If, if you're familiar with Scree, they're I a, uh, yeah, a gear company. Um, I do a, a, a lot of media content creation for them and, and a couple of outfitters and, and, uh, the T3 call company. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do a lot of filming and a lot of content creation in the outdoor industry. And then, you know, professionally, like I said, full time, I, kind of dabble in a lot of different technical and IT related fields. So, um, I'm, I'm kind of a busybody actually when it comes to that, but <laughs> it seems like yeah, a little so, bit. Yeah. That's, that, that's, that's kind of who I am and where I come from. And, and, uh, it's, it's turkey hunting just always been one of those things I you mentioned in the opening that I, uh, I do deer hunt a lot <laughs> and, um, I'm a big deer hunter, big bow hunter. And, uh, it's always really difficult for me because, you know, you get in these conversations and somebody always asks, like, what's your favorite? You know, what if what would you do if you could only do one thing? And, um, man, it's hard because during the season, especially during those pre-rut periods when, when you're using a lot of, you know, scouting and strategy to figure out where those mature deer are and, and what they're doing, that gets pretty addicting. But I think I, I still always end up going back to spring turkey. I just I can't shake it. You know, it's just my favorite. And and I was blessed to be born and raised in in an area of the country that turkey hunting was a really big thing and a lot of it you know back before turkey hunting was you know quite as popular across the country it was a really big deal in southwest mississippi and we had a lot of turkey country and a lot of turkeys and um you know so i was i was blessed to to be able to kind of get into that at a young age and, and just carried it all the way into adulthood Hey, there's nothing wrong with that, man. And, you know, I kind of toy on that line a little bit too, whether I like deer hunting or turkey hunting more. And I really think if you talk to me in turkey season, I say turkey <laughs> and then you go right back to whitetail season. And I'm like, yeah, I like whitetail more. Yeah. So it's kind of, yeah. it's, you know, year round, I'm kind of different. I feel, I don't know. I understand that. No, I would agree. I think, uh, Catman said it best. I was just listening to the podcast he was on with Southern Ground and, uh, he was like, you know what? Just kill me. Because I can't pick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think, I, you know, for you guys, uh, maybe it's a little different. I don't know, but I know for down here, our, our whitetail season is a lot bigger and longer. Yeah. And so just from a personal investment, I spend a lot more time, uh, deer hunting because, yeah, we start probably around Labor Day. You know, we start getting out there and working on, you know, working in the woods and, deer stands and, and getting stuff ready for food plots and we start deer hunting october the 1st and we go all the way to january the 31st and okay. you know it's a deer camp lifestyle and it's so it's it's it, it's a bigger part of the year and turkey hunting is is a lot more isolated to you know the the end of march and mostly just the month of april so it's 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 not as much of your time from a year-long perspective but i know for me personally uh as opposed to 
I guess maybe other people that, that, that aren't as passionate about it as I am. I, I don't, I don't spend as much time because of the season, but I, I probably hunt just as hard because I am that passionate about it. But I do get lost in that sometimes because I, I spend so much of my, you know, my personal, uh, involvement and resources that I put towards deer, just like I said, because, you know, four months of the year, every year, <laughs> really mm-hmm. five months of the year, if you count all the preparations. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think we're on the same page there. You know, with with our deer season, we're not too far from what you have down there now. Ours comes in and out, and it, it's a little broken up because you can only hunt for right now as it stands six weeks of archery right around the 1st of October, give or take a couple of days. It's six weeks, then it goes out, and then rifle comes in for two weeks, and then it goes out, and then your extended muzzleloader, traditional muzzleloader, and extent of archery comes in for now what they've added a third week so it used to be two weeks and it seems like that season just drags on and and throughout and we cherish it and we love it but it's like it comes and goes and i know we do the same thing i know i do my investment all goes to deer and then i just hunt turkey with any rag ragtag shirt and pants that i can put together <laughs> you know maybe cut a sleeve off my shirt for a face mask and just go out and go chase turkeys <laughs> but i i'm turning though i growing up it was always deer like we are such a strong deer hunting traditional area up north where i know the south is more known for the traditional turkey hunting passion but I'm starting to slowly feel that bug, and I think I get a deeper itch when turkey season's approaching than when deer season's approaching for some reason, and I don't know what that is. Yeah, I've I've struggled throughout, I guess, my most of my life trying to identify what that is, too, mm-hmm. because I, I certainly know exactly what you're talking about, that um, that emotional attachment you have to the sport, the anxiety that it creates, and, and all that kind of thing. And, you know, for me, it feels like I've always sort of looked perspective that as opposed to the traditional, deer hunt, you know, traditionally in deer hunting, we, uh, you know, we sit in a stand and we use a lot of tools and, and, and information to try to be in the right spot at the right time. But nevertheless, when you, when you boil it all down, it's a sit and wait game luck that has to be involved with any hunting but with deer hunting um you can be in the right spot and play the wind right and 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 you know the day you're not there is the day the deer's there type thing with turkey hunting you know the way we do this whole you know run and gun style of hunting and obviously i'm not referring to the the sit in a blind type of hunting right it's more of a hunt it's more of a strategy it's like a war game you know, it's, it's from the moment you get out of the truck and, 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 and it starts to, to break daylight and, and you're listening for a bird goblin. You start, you know, boots on the ground, strategizing, making moves, you know, trying to anticipate what he's going to do and, and put that into play with the decisions that you're making and how you're going to hunt him. And every day it like feeds this masculine male, like war game thing is how I look at it. And I, that may, I may be reaching a little bit on that, but I think that's what keeps you coming back so much because um, sometimes I feel like with deer hunting, we all get in our ruts with anything. And sometimes it feels like you just can't make the right decision. You know, you know, you're hunting the wind, right? You know, you're, you're picking days that are good and, and you just can't do anything about it when the deer just won't show up on the days that you're there. And with turkey hunting, 
as long as I can find a bird goblin, I've got a shot to make the right move. You know, I've got a shot to get in the right spot and, and hunt him the right way that day. And it's just so much more tangible in that regard. And I think it just the hunter in us is brought out. I say oftentimes that turkey hunting defines the word hunt better than maybe any other pursuit that we have. Wow, extremely well said, my man. <laughs> honestly, and I, I really like that analogy too. I mean, having it be like like a war game, honestly. I mean, I've kind of done that a little bit more, I don't know, in the last two or three years for whitetails as opposed to just sitting in a stationary stand and stuff. But um, that's kind of the one thing that I've always really enjoyed about turkey hunting is the run and gun style, being able to, you know, go, you go to your first spot and it's no good. Let's move on to the next spot. Like yeah. get up and go. You can't really, you can do that in deer hunting, but you got to kind of wait all night. You know, yeah. I can move and go and find a bird. And I've always really enjoyed that. And, you know, how you put that together was really, really well said. Yeah. I think the well, fact that they're responsive and you can strike yeah. one up and you, you know, can locate them a lot easier than you can deer hunting most times. I think that adds into it. Yeah. There's a lot of feedback involved in turkey hunting. You, you know, I, I, I can't tell you how many days I've gotten off of a deer stand even days where I hunted hard and maybe moved to a couple of different locations. And I couldn't really figure out, like, you know, I know there's a reason why I didn't see any deer or I didn't see the deer, but I don't really know what it is, and it could kind of be anything. You know, um, uh, I feel like uh, I did things right, and, and, you know, you just end up saying, well, you know, for whatever reason, the deer just, you know, just wasn't on his feet today, or he didn't do what I, you know, but with turkey hunting, you there most of the time there's a lot of feedback now there may be a few days where you, you you go back to the truck and you say i don't know why i can't find a turkey there's just no turkeys gobbling and you know with the exception of that if you hunt a turkey and he gobbles and he responds and you make a couple of moves and you try to set up on him most of the time you're going to walk away from that learning something you know kind of having some some idea of what worked what didn't work what you may have should have done different or, or whatnot and and that keeps drawing you back in you know like you that 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 uh, that audible interaction with the animal hunt after hunt after hunt just kind of keeps the fire burning i think yeah it breaks the monotony anyway yeah for sure and we're in northwest pa and we got a lot of like rolling hills a lot of ag fields where you know we can actually you can drive around throughout the entire day and spot a lot of birds you know and set up yes. strategies and do it that way even in a more way more aggressive running gun style and after doing that for the last couple years as opposed to just you know, trying to put a bird to bed or going to an area where you, you've scouted and you see a lot of turkey scratching areas and kind of doing the sit and wait. Um, I've found a lot more of excitement and joy going after them. I mean, driving around, you see a turkey. Oh, guess what? You know, there's a turkey there. And the best thing about turkey is if it's got a beard on it, game on <laughs> for us, you know, game on. Yeah. We're not, it's not like you see a deer in the field and uh, ah, just a four point. Not interested, you know, for us, I mean, we're, I'm advancing. I've only killed a handful of birds, um, over the last few years. So I'm advancing my game as much as anybody, but, um, you know, it's fun. It's, it's more fun, I think in a way. It's definitely, it's definitely a different type of challenge that will test you in different ways for sure. And I've done what you're talking about in other places. Here locally where I live in the immediate area where I grew up, we don't have as much open country. I mean, there are, don't get me wrong, there are areas where there's some agriculture and pasture land. Most of that's private. Um, 
generally it's timber. So you, the ride, riding around every now and then you'll get lucky and see a, a bird somewhere uh, that you can get to that's, you know, a, a public piece where there's a power line or something like that. Or maybe you have access to some property. But generally, you know, we kind of got to strike them. You know, we kind of go from area to area, uh, you know, go into an area and uh, call a little bit, see if you can get a bird to go and, and make a plan to try to, to set up and, and, and call to him and, and get him in gun range. But I've hunted up in the Midwest where it's more that way. A lot of agriculture and rolling hills where you can, you know, move from farm to farm to farm and cut through these little back roads and go around the backside where you can see in the back of some of these fields and find a bird strutting. And then, you know, you pull up a map or something. And like you said, you know, there's a bird there. It's not a matter of whether I'm, whether I'm in the game or not, you know, he's there. And, you know, now you start strategizing. I mean, how can I get to the right place without being seen? You know, is he going to respond? And, and all, does he have hens with him? Is, is it more than one bird? I mean, how's all this going to play out? And that is a lot of fun. I, I look forward to doing that every year. Cause like I said, you don't get to do that here. Actually down here, what ends up happening a lot down here is you walk yourself half to death. You basically <laughs> have to, you have to walk, you know, from area to area. I mean, you may get in your truck and drive over to another piece of property or over to another public ground, but you know, I'll get out of the truck and I'll start walking, you know, miles just walking. And every three or 400 yards, you know, you get on a ridge top or something, stop, yelp for a little while, listen, see if you can get a bird to gobble in the distance or whatever, and then just keep walking, you know? And so, uh, yeah, you get your exercise too. That's another thing. You know, no. deer, deer, and you sit up in the stand and eat Twinkies and beef jerky or whatever you carry with you. You don't get a lot of that in turkey season. I actually lose weight during turkey season. <laughs> oh yeah, we're typically uh, little Debbie guys, honestly. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing I was actually kind of curious about, and you're doing a lot of walking, so you're not necessarily like taking a ground blind with you all the time. What's kind of your running gun setup look like? Are you carrying? kind of a lighter gun you rocking a turkey vest you carrying decoys what do you got going on yeah so um actually it's interesting that you bring that up because i'm in a transition here on that i don't hunt out of a blind unless unless i'm taking a kid hunting or or maybe a you know a first-time hunter that just doesn't know the game real well and is not really experienced I don't hunt with a blind, partly because I just don't like being confined, but partly also because you can't pack one around when you're doing all this walking. So my setup is, um, I am, I actually mentioned this in in the podcast, uh, recently. I am in this, this eternal struggle with the turkey vest industry. (laughs) Let's call it the industry. (laughs) Like I have been, I don't want to go as far as to say that I've never had a turkey vest I like. I, I don't want to go as far as to say that because that's a strong way to put it. There have always been things. I've had some turkey vests that there were things about it that I liked. But I've never found one that I was completely satisfied with. Partly I have have just kind of succumbed to the idea that the reason is because there will never be one that I'm totally happy with because in the end, it's always going to provide some level of bulk that I'm not cool with, you know, and being this impulsive pack rat that I am, if I've got a pocket, I'm going to find something to put in it, you know, <laughs> Me too. and that, and that, you know, and I've learned over the years of turkey hunting, that's not really necessary in, in, and I end up three hours into a morning running gun and I'm, who knows how far I've walked. I don't know how many ridges and, and how many roads. And I got, you know, pockets full of stuff I am not even going to think about using on that hunt. <laughs> so, 
Um, and then, you know, the vest is flopping around and all that. So I've been carrying a little strut seat and like a kind of a, what you call a man purse, like a canvas shoulder sack <laughs> that I stick my water bottle and my calls and stuff in and, and the little seat that I can has a strap on it. Hey, Indiana and, uh, Jones had one. It's a satchel. <laughs> it's a satchel. There you go. Like a mail pouch satchel. <laughs> and a, uh, a, a bind harness that, uh, that has some pockets on it. So that's been my, um, my get up for the last several years. And I also film a whole lot. So I'm, I'm as opposed to your typical turkey hunter, I, I have the added bulk of pack around camera gear usually. So, um, this year I actually picked up a product called the pack rabbit. Okay. And huh. uh, I'm not affiliated with the company, but what it is is it's a it's a lightweight plastic frame that wears like a backpack, and it actually has kind of a backpack compartment on it with sort of this kickstand style off the back. And what's kind of at the small back is a little flip out seat. So you basically you just sit sit it down and just sit in it. It's a huh. chair with a backpack on it. Really and. Yeah, and so I, I ran into this company last year at some consumer trade shows, and and their product was kind of designed for the backpacker, adventure seeker, outdoorsman. And I I, I even talked to them then. I'm like, have you ever considered marketing, uh, you know, some of this towards the turkey hunter? Because this would actually be perfect for turkey hunting. And they did this year. They released a model that they 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 introduced at the NWTF convention, and it's made for turkey hunters. So it's got a couple of zip up pockets on the back part and the the uh, the containment area in the back is kind of adjustable and bigger to fit a decoy in and all that. So um, that's what I'm doing this year. As far as my gun, I uh, man, I spent years and years and years packing around a big, heavy 70 Express Magnum, you know, 28 inch barrel pump shotgun. And I finally, several years back, I, I got a lighter weight shotgun that still not super light but it's it's a fronky i12 but i've got it customized i had it cerakoted and put a turkey bead on it and all that and then um but most recently now that my oldest son has gotten into turkey hunting and we got a a, a 20 gauge for him it's a tri-star raptor cool and it's a little automatic and i quickly realized a couple of years ago when we got that thing and i went from carrying around eight or nine pound shotgun to carrying around a four and a half pound youth model gauge with a turkey choke in it that i can kill a turkey out to 45 50 yards easy that that was the only way to go <laughs> <laughs> so i have actually been i mean when he's with me obviously he's doing the shooting and um take a lot of times now so i've actually moved they've got such advancements in in um you know gun technology as it pertains with these these new shells and these new uh, chokers and stuff, I got that little twenty gauge. I feel super confident that you know a good clear kill shot at fifty yards, I can kill a turkey every time, and I'm not going to shoot further than that. I rarely, rarely ever even shoot that far, but that twenty gauge got all the distance I've ever needed out of a twelve gauge, and it's a lot lighter. So um, I'm going that route, and uh, that, that's kind of my setup. I mean, I, I try to be lightweight and and uh, mobile as I can be. And the turkey vest is something that, that I've tried to kind of phase out, not necessarily because of weight, but just because of bulk. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you on that. And I've worn turkey vests before, never really been a big fan of them. And I kind of made the switch last year to more of a fanny pack style with a turkey seat on it and just rocking yeah. the binos and 
carrying the gun and let's go, you know, and that, hmm. that's kind of worked well, a little bit better for me. It's nice and lightweight. I don't do what you used to do and I, I don't have the pockets to put everything in, so I can't carry everything I don't need with me. So that's exactly. kind of been my go-to. Hmm. I feel like I don't fill my pockets up enough on my turkey vest. They're that's all good. empty. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm still wearing this like big bulky vest around. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It feels like there's no gray area in that situation. You yeah. don't have enough or you quickly go from feeling like you don't have enough to just feeling overwhelmed. Yeah. There's no in-between. Locke, are you, are you rocking? I, I know you talked about filming too, and selfishly, I'm trying to find a better way to do filming. Are you doing it freehand or you, are you carrying a tripod around with you? I have, a, my camera's on a tripod. Okay. I have a, um, yeah, I'm, I have a graphite, uh, carbon, I'm sorry, not graphite, carbon, um, carbon tripod that's real lightweight, but it's, it's rated for, you know, plenty enough weight. And I have a, uh, have a fluid head with a, uh, with an arm on it and a uh, a remote control. Nice. So I can I kind of have that. So I don't, you know I don't have to reach up and touch the camera. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, I mean I typically if I'm filming, I'm you know I got a tripod thrown over my shoulder. Okay, that, that makes sense. You got to have that remote too for turkey. It seems like if you're trying to self film at all, because <laughs> there's just yeah. no room for error. There's no room to be mo- moving around trying to. Adjust the camera yeah. <laughs> in and out. Yeah. So we try well, to do. Another, yeah, go ahead. That that's another point to the the little seat. You know, uh, if if you've done this, anybody that's listening, if you've done this, it helps. Even if it's just a, a few inches, it helps a lot to be a little up off of the ground when you're sitting with a tripod, because it allows you more flexibility with adjusting those legs, so that you can get that camera body in close to you, and you don't have to extend your arms out to the camera. And when you're sitting like with with a cushion or a vest with a flip down cushion and you're sitting flat on the ground, it gets a little bit more cumbersome in terms of like that area riding close to your body in your lap. So mm-hmm. any kind of little seat uh, system I found uh, helps a whole lot with, with the tripod. I can attest to that. It makes a ton of sense because <clears throat> it is really hard to find a really good spot to get it when you're down on the ground to where you like it, that you can move it up above, especially our season, I mean, when we get an early green up, it gets thick and tall. It's hard to get a camera up above some of that stuff and to try to film when your camera's way up above you. So I just, I've been trying to freehand it and just do double hunts recently. You know, take a buddy out and we just take turns. It's, hey, it's your turn until you get a shot. Once you get a shot opportunity, now it's my turn. You lug the camera around. <laughs> yeah, I've you know? got quite a few self-filmed hunts. Um, that I've done over the years and, uh, you can, you can find a bunch of those out on Vimeo and YouTube and stuff. And I've kind of gotten now where now that I've gotten in more of a, uh, I, I don't know, more, more of a job mode with it. Uh, I, I try to hunt for myself some every year cause I, I spent years and years not doing that. So now a lot of times when I'm filming, I'm either filming my son or I'm filming another hunter, uh, you know, on a, on a, a trip that we're, we're getting footage or I'm guiding a hunt and I'm filming the person or something like that. So I've gotten, I, you know, I don't self film as much anymore just because I do so much filming all the time that I don't need that footage. And it's kind of nice to be able to make a few hunts without it. Uh, and, uh, to your point, the remote control on the arm is absolutely necessary because you need to be able to set that shotgun on your knee 
and have your off hand, you need to be able to have that controller close to your body so you're not reaching out away from your body, obviously breaking up, you know, changing the silhouette and movement. And you, you got to be able to, to work with, if you want good quality footage, you got to be able to work with that, you know, with that controller. You need a controller that's got zoom and focus and you can stop and start your record and all that. So it's absolutely necessary for, and, and to be honest, self-filming a turkey is actually a lot easier than self-filming a deer. I've killed a bunch of deer now with a bow self-filmed too. And, you know, as far as turkey hunting, the decoy is almost a necessity when it comes to filming a turkey hunt. I don't want to say it's absolutely a necessity, but it's close to it because uh, in terms of quality footage, the decoy provides you a, a shot angle for the camera. You know, it puts the turkey in a position where you can get that footage and you're not trying to follow him as he skirts through looking for that hen that's open or whatever. Um, where, uh, you know, when that happens, if, if you've turkey hunted a while and you've had these experience, once a turkey gets in that close to a decoy and he really locks in, you get some freedom. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not trying to say that you can get away with just anything, but, um, I found that I'm able to get that camera on him and just transition to my gun and get the beat on him well before he pays any attention to me because he's focused in on those decoys so if you're if you're looking to do self-filming um that's the way to do it is you know use decoy setups to your advantage in that regard because it uh it'll make your filming a lot better okay and i i have heard you talk about using even like a fan decoy or something to really grab the attention of the bird whenever you're doing something like that and uh is is that kind of your setup usually maybe a, a fan or a a half strut uh, Jake decoy, maybe over top of a hen, or I use uh I use that uh I use that quarter strut Jake decoy from mm-hmm. Avian X. Yep. In a lot of situations, there are some situations I won't use it because, uh, and an example of that is like Texas, because uh, there's a lot of Jakes and it it they they'll shy away from it. Um, but in the South, and you know a lot of the Midwestern where you're hunting Easterns, um. They hate that thing, man. I don't, you know, I, I, I'll use a fan if I'm hunting in field areas or I'm, especially I'm hunting in the Midwest and that's a little bit different hunt. I'll, I've, 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 you know, use it to kind of get that turkey to break and come closer, uh, a turkey that's hung up or even just to get a turkey to come across the field. But in terms of, you know, just a sitting down to a turkey, uh, I have found that just a, a hen decoy with that quarter strut, strut jake, it's something about the posture that they have on that decoy that, I mean, I've, I've been through in, you know, seven, eight, I've been through five or six of them because the turkeys destroy them, <laughs> you know, they're inflatable. And I, I mean, if you'll watch some of my videos, I've got five or six videos of turkeys just jumping on them, spurring them. And, you know, the turkey actually gets shot standing on top of the decoy. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I found that. So, you know, to kind of take that to another, another, uh, kind of another level of, of information. You see a lot of uh, camera setups where people go kind of the extra mile on a leafy suit and they wrap the tripod all up and they do all this stuff. And I, and look, I, the turkey can see, a turkey can see better than anything in the woods. I'll say from my experience that you can use line of sight if you're hunting with decoys and it's extremely effective. And what I mean by that is, um, setting yourself up in relation to the decoys where when the turkey comes in, he's not looking your direction. You're off to the side um, or, you know, whatever, and you're using shade, whichever direction the sun's at. And, you know, because of the decoy situation, assuming that you're, 
your strategy and your setup works here, when that turkey comes in and he gets within like 60, 50, 60 yards, if he's committed, if he's not going to shy away from the decoy or he's not going to hang up, if this is all going to work out, if you're not in his line of sight and he's committed to the decoy, that sucker just gets focused in to the point that you don't have to have all that stuff. He's, you know, you just, you, you just got to be kind of smart. Don't stick out in the wide open. Don't get in the bright sun. Don't sit down right behind your decoy where when the turkey pops up over a hill or he rounds the curve in the road or whatever, he's looking straight through the decoy right at you. You know, you can't do that whether you got your camera wrapped up in a leafy suit or not. <laughs> you know, so um, if you're hunting with decoys and you're trying to film a hunt, the most effective method I found is to use a decoy and use line of sight because you know like i said i'm not going to sit here and tell you that you won't run into a turkey that's decoy shy or you might hunt a place where there's a lot of jakes and you stick a jake decoy out there and they just don't like it and they run off you know they come up there and see that jake and shy away and next thing you know he's made a big circle around you and he's gobbling off you know those things happen but from just a closing the deal standpoint if you find a gobbler that is willing to do it the right way Man, the the flexibility and the freedom you get from that setup, it's pretty cool. And aside from your footage, you, just the experience is cool because you get to watch a turkey act, you know, naturally in a way that we just don't experience. You know, um, I, I I I I'll refer to I have a hunt out there that's opening day in Mississippi a couple of years ago. It's on the Scree website and all. And this turkey comes straight off the limb and into a setup where I had two hens and a Jake decoy. And the hunt's condensed down, obviously, um, to, you know, three or four minutes. But we filmed that turkey at 12, 13 yards for 18 minutes. Oh, man. 18 minutes. Wow. He tried to breed. He First thing he did was, you know, just fan and spur and slap the Jake decoy around for a while. Once he realized the Jake decoy wasn't fighting back, he, he, he tried to breed both hen decoys. He, you know, got all the way down on his you know, on his knees, so to speak, if a turkey has a knee, whatever you call it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just kind of like w- w- walk circles all the way around those decoys. And, you know, this is, I've, I, there's parts of that where I'm zoomed up on the turkey, you know, full frame, very close. And he's, you know, sitting beside a hen decoy with his head cocked to the side, just staring. I mean, like a foot away from the decoy, just staring at it, like waiting on it to move. And he did this for minutes and minutes, and it was just testament to the fact I I wouldn't let my nephew shoot because I was like, no, we're just getting all this footage we can. This is unbelievable, you know. And I said, this is just testament to I I really and firmly believe he could have stood up and took a step towards that turkey and shot him. And he he, he was so focused on those decoys that, you know, nothing else mattered. And so it's it's pretty cool hunt that way. (laughs) See, I I wasn't aware that you were – you know, into using decoys as much, um, I kind of pegged you for more of a, a non decoy, uh, user, but you know what? We use them a lot and I love it. I mean, there is, if you want the full experience, there's really no better way to do it. You know, that is just, and I'm excited for this year to use them a little more and in more open areas because over the last years we have, you know, we've always hunted big woods where, you just don't know what's going on with that bird. There's a lot of crawling up ridges and, and taking shots as soon as you clear the top of it. And we've had a lot of kills like that, like that and a lot of success. But I really want the full experience. You know, I want the goblin, their head off, coming in on a rope, you know, beating up the decoy. 
So I think that's one thing that I, I'm going to be a little more patient this year and, and try to get that and rather than just blowing them away as soon as they get in gun range. Yeah. I, I've, I, I kind of <laughs> grew up, you know, we had, I guess when I was younger, I was in uh, high school and college and, you know, they're just the decoy. They didn't have what they have now. I mean, we had these little feather flex decoys. They were like 15 bucks at Walmart and they were basically a brown and black colored piece of foam. And, you know, I, I, I grew up turkey hunting without them and, and I still enjoy, you know, those few moments, those few days where I get to just take a gun and go down in the woods and, and I'm not, somebody's not with me. I'm not trying to film, a, you know, for a commercial or a show or something like that. Um, I still enjoy just taking a mouth call and sticking a one slate call in my pocket and just going. And, um, there's something pure that, you know, you, you, you just, you can't get any other way. And I do enjoy that. but you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head and it's something that I've, I've actually, you know, kind of tried to sell this little, this little pitch to a lot of people because I've seen it myself and it's, it's something super cool about it, man. You know, uh, the, I, I've, I've hunted with some guys, it, you know, that I've taken hunted, hunting in the Midwest and stuff. And, you know, we got a decoy out there and here comes this bird and he comes barreling out there and, you know, he gets within gun range and they just shoot him. And I'm like, well, that's cool. You filled your tag and that, that's what I'm here to do is to try to call you a turkey. But let me explain something to you. <laughs> that turkey was dead the minute he got within 40 yards and he was coming to that decoy and we could have sat here all morning and he wasn't going anywhere. He was yours <laughs> whenever you got ready to pull the trigger. <laughs> and just what you get to watch and experience, it's, it's pretty cool, man. It's, 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 it, it is a break away from kind of the traditional old school get after him. You know, yeah. like you said, using yeah. the heels and the terrain to your advantage and just, you know, taking him when you get the opportunity. It's a break away from that traditional hunt, but it's pretty cool. It is really cool to see a, a gobbler try to assert his dominance on a decoy and just really get it fully just madly in love with a decoy. It's 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 as close as you can get to the whole reaping technique where they they see the fan and they come try to attack you. You know, it's 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 similar to that in, in, in that regard. I want to do the reaping so bad, but mm-hmm. here in PA, you will 150% get shot in the face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to be, you got to be, uh, somewhere that you really know who's there. Yeah. Um, yeah. or you have, you know, you know, really private land that you know is, is not going yeah. yeah, <laughs> to, yeah. it, it gets really hard. I, if I were to do it, I'd probably do it with just the fan, you know, and not the, like the, the, front body of it with the beard and all that because i i would agree with austin even on our private you get a lot of people that just trespass and they don't care um they they're doing pennsylvania's doing something they have a new law now with you know more strict rules in place for trespassing and i i hope that really works and helps a lot because i would love to do that i would love to walk through a field and i i think if you're in an open field you're probably okay you know, someone's going to well, see. I would hope somebody yeah. wouldn't shoot you. Someone's going to see my big ass behind a turkey fan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're not going to miss me. Yeah. I hope. But yeah, turkey hunting is, um, it's one, it, man, it's, there's a lot of people, even in the big woods, you know, I, I, I grew up down here. We have, we don't have as much public land here as a lot of other states do. But some of our public lands here is really big hardwood forest and a lot of rolling hills. And I mean, I've heard stories my whole life of people trying to crawl up the side of a hill and popping up and, and shooting, you know, just not identifying their target. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're shooting at a, 
you know, at a, at a black spot and it's somebody sitting against a tree or, you know, or a decoy hanging out of somebody's, you know, pack or something. And it happens a lot because people are, are you know, in a deer stand, people are observing that, you know, they've got a different vantage point to identify their target. And, and with turkey hunting, uh, it is definitely uh, something you have to pay attention to. And, you know, for the reaping thing, I've not done it that much. I have experienced it. It is an unbelievable thing to experience. Um, it's It doesn't work. I guess like anything else, you watch things on TV and all they show you is when it works, right? Yep. Um, it, it doesn't always work. I mean, there are plenty of times that you, you flash that fan and they're like, what is this? I am gone. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, so for every time that they just act retarded and come barreling on a death run across a field at a grown man holding a turkey fan, for every time that happens, there's probably quite a few times that they stick their head up and be like, I don't know what they think they're doing, but I'm going to go ahead and leave now. <laughs> you know, so that is yeah, you can't do that in the South at all. I mean, I, I have found and I, I know I've, I've heard this from people that have a lot more experience doing it that, you know, it's really that technique works really more on turkeys that live in more open terrain and 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 also bigger flocks of turkeys um sure. they tend to be you know kind of punks they, they'll fight in groups a lot, a lot more than they will solo so you get these ag fields and open country where you'll get a group of two or three toms that are running together and then they see one tom out there by itself and and that's you with a fan and they they you know they, they'll tend to be a little bit more bold uh in those situations and then the other thing you can do with a fan that that does work for you guys, guys that are hunting in the woods, but again, this is dangerous. It can be dangerous. Is you know, if you got that bird that you you know you're you're sitting up on a hardwood ridge, say, and you can hear him strutting and drumming and gobbling, you know he's right up the ridge, and you know you can't really see him, and and you know you're thinking, I know he can see my setup down here. Why isn't he coming? I know he knows where I'm yelping from, and he's just hung up on the top of that ridge. You can take that fan out and just flash it a little bit, just right in your lap. Just flash it a little bit and just set it down. And a lot of times that'll do the trick. Something very subtle that it's just enough for that turkey to see it and go, ah, yeah. that's what mm-hmm. I'm hearing. Yep. <laughs> Bring know? it to life. But yeah. again, if you're, if you're trespassing neighbors slipping down through that creek bottom because he's been hearing you yelp and he's been hearing that turkey gobble. And then he looks up on that ridge and sees you flashing that fan and <laughs> you're in the same boat. <laughs> yeah. It's actually in a worse boat because at least when you're in the field, you're, you're a full grown man. <laughs> behind the fan. Oh man. No, that's, that's a good point. And, uh, last year, actually, I, I guess I did get a taste and I, I don't know how I forgot about this, but last year, uh, I was out hunting with a good buddy of ours, Lane. And he did that basically for us. We come upon a group of three Jakes, which we weren't totally sure. We couldn't tell exactly what they were. We saw at least one or two were Jakes, and we couldn't tell what this bigger one was out in the back. And he's like, all right, I'm going to pull this decoy out with the fan. I said, I'm going to get behind it, and I'm going to walk right at them. He said, if they fire you up, you just blast one. I don't care. But I was like, okay, well, sure. You know, I already, already filled one tag this year. I'll, I'll give it a try. Let's see if that last one, maybe he's he's a long beard. And he goes out into the field and he starts walking towards him behind this thing. And he's, he's just hammering off at him. He's, you know, doing the whole thing, gobbling everything. And as soon as those birds caught him, cause he was over this little hill, as soon as they caught the sight of him, I mean, their heads change color immediately, all three, and they come running at him. 
<laughs> and he's having a standoff with these three Jakes, and there's just this super Jake ahead of him. He probably had a four or five inch beard, super Jake. I mean, they had a curl and everything. And they're just hammering off at him like 10 feet away. And he's going back and forth, like shaking a decoy at him. It was, dude, it was so cool. I didn't end up pulling the trigger because it was like the first time hunting with him and on his ground. I was like, you know what? I already filled a tag. I'm not going to shoot another Jake. You know, just. Let's let it pass. That was such a cool experience, though, to yeah. to see the three right in our face, just blasting, and they would gobble off of one another. And it, dude, it was it was really cool. That Jakes was, can was be fun. a lot of fun to call up because they, yeah. they, they will put on a show. You mm-hmm. get a when you get, I, I, you know, I, I, I always like it. Always reminds me a group of Jakes. Especially the not the I don't know if y'all call in the South we'll call a little bitty young Jake a pigeon. I don't know if y'all ever heard that terminology. Never heard that. <laughs> but a pigeon. a pigeon is like the little Jake that you see that never really he acts like a hen. He he doesn't try to strut or even try to gobble. He's barely got any beard showing, and he really just looks like a hen. <laughs> he just got a nub. And, yeah, I mean he's he's for whatever reason he's just not as mature. You know, as a as a Jake that actually has the colors and and his mm-hmm. head will actually turn the color. You know, so um, we do have those little young Jakes, and they act just like hens. They don't, you know, they don't ever do anything. But the 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 bigger Jakes, the ones that are just you know, um, just one spring away from actually being a, a full Tom. I, it reminds me of like that punk group of kids that hang out at the corner store, you know, that <laughs> like if, if you, if you pull up to the corner store and one of them's there by himself, he's like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Yes, sir. You know, but when you pull up to the corner store and he's got three of his, four of his buddies there, he's all, uh, you know, you know, he's all hard and he's trying to act like he's a tough guy, <laughs> you know, disrespectful. And that, that, that's just kind of how Jake's are. They're just punks. You know, and, uh, but they put on a show, you know, mm-hmm. and I've, I've seen it in Texas more than anywhere because you, you just, there's just large flocks and lots of numbers and man, you'll go out there to Texas and there'll be groups of like 10 or 11 jakes and oh. they will, they'll come in and just destroy a decoy. I mean, you just have to stand up and run them off yeah. and stuff. So yeah. Well, well Austin, didn't, didn't you see, you and Anthony saw those Jakes uh, bullying up on that group of Toms, right? Yeah. There was a, uh, there was actually two Toms. This was like two or three years ago. Yeah. We just we pulled into a parking lot. It was right behind a church and right out in their yard. There was probably fifteen hens and there were I think two big toms and they were just kinda of strutting around and all of a sudden like five or six Jakes came barreling out of the <laughs> woods and they just bullied these toms out of there and you know, next thing you know it just it, that was a crazy day of honestly watching yeah. turkeys and then next thing you know, four more came out and those two kinda of started battling. It was it was weird, man. Yeah. <laughs> it was definitely I'll a wild you, day of turkey. Cool. The first, the first time I ever hunted in Texas, um, I went out there and, and we, we went over, we were out in West Texas. And so we kind of drove all day. We didn't get there till night. We didn't have a chance to, to look at the property or, or anything. We, we got there in the dark and got a couple hours of sleep and woke up before daylight. And, you know, here's a map, here's a road, go down here. This is where you're hunting type thing. So the first time for us to even see where we're hunting is when the sun came up and, um, of course there's turkeys gobbling everywhere so for the first couple of days really not even uh, you know maybe day and a half because it's a lot of action we were we were hearing lots of birds and I, there were just i don't remember exactly but several occasions where you know there's a bird hammering and we you got him in sight and he just gets real skittish and just kind of drop strut and then he kind of leaves and then 
15 minutes later, he gobbles and he's over here, you know, kind of circled around behind you and they're just acting real skittish and weird. And it's like, I finally, you know, I asked a buddy of mine that's been hunting Texas. I was like, what's going on? He's like, you got a Jake decoy out? And I'm like, yeah, they're my same Jake. Always. He's like, dude, put that thing up. He's like, they, dude, he goes, every time that, that, that Tom, you know, struts and gobbles, there's, there's a dozen Jakes that are trying to whip him all the time, <laughs> you know? And sure enough, dude, the first time we go out there and put the Jake up that, you know, the turkeys just act normal and they come right in. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very real thing. If you, you pull up somewhere anywhere, I've I seen it in Kansas last year too, same situation. Um, you, anywhere where you got a lot of Jakes, don't use a Jake decoy because the Jakes are, are real. <laughs> when it comes to yeah. the harassment of Tom, they 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 get after him. They'll just beat him up. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree more, man. Oh man. Well, let's get into uh, you know what? I want to get into a little bit more of a technical side, um, if you don't mind. Here, Locke, yeah. uh, it would be unfair to not ask you some of the selfish PA questions I had, but you know, I've heard you talk before about how you change your tactics from beginning of season till the end of the season. Uh, you know, based on the breeding behavior, maybe the feeding patterns, but Pennsylvania opens up in May, as we mentioned, which, you know, I would argue is kind of past the breeding and the, the larger group fra- uh, phase of the birds. If you were to come here to PA and hunt a full season from the beginning of May until the end of May, now, mind you, the first two weeks of PA, you can only hunt till noon and the last two weeks you can hunt all day long. What, how do you think your strategy would change throughout the year, being that it's a little later season, they're kind of past that, that breeding phase? Yeah. Um, well, so very, very, um, kind of high level view of what I'm looking at in, in any situation is kind of the daily activity pattern that you're dealing with in, in any, in any flock of turkeys. And so, mm-hmm. you know, your basic, Generally speaking, what's going to happen is the the turkeys are going to get together and he's going to breed as long as they'll let him. And at some point, it, this this time frame will will shorten throughout the season. The hens will leave, you know. So he may fly down right off the roost with six or seven hens, and early in the season, those hens may stay with him and let him breed throughout the day, all the way all day long. Mm-hmm. You know, but as the season progresses, they're getting closer and closer to laying and, and stuff like that, or they may even have a nest, then he's going to go to them, but they're going to leave. They're going to leave him. So, um, so, you know, obviously the hardest time to kill a turkey, if you're running and gunning, so to speak, the hardest time to kill a turkey in this whole thing is when he's focused on these hens. So not only are you competing for his interest with these hens, but it's, you know, like anything else, he's got the real thing. And so it's, it's possible for you to employ a strategy in that time of the year where you try to call to these hens and you try to irritate that boss hen and get her to come and bring him with her. And, and that is certainly something that I'm going to try to do in the early season. If, if I come up there in the early season and I kind of got a feel for this flock dynamic and what's going on, and I can't get to that bird before he groups up with those hens, my next strategy is going to be to identify the boss hen and irritate the crap out of her (laughs) so Mm -hmm. that she comes to me and tries to basically say, hey, either get in line or get out of here, you know. And, um, you know, that's, a, in my opinion, is I've I've had it work, and I'm sure that plenty of your listeners have and and may have it work in the future, but it's, it's, it's your longer shot. So um, I'm trying to identify that 
and, and, and kind of where they at there. And, you know, when I get to that point where the hens are going to nest, I honestly am going to focus a lot of my attention on middle of the day, mid morning type of hunts, because if I know the turkeys are in the area and I can find that 10 to 10 to 12, nine to 11, even for you guys that can only hunt till noon, that turkey, if I can strike him and get him to gobble, he's probably coming, you know, because he's, he's less likely to, to really shock gobble if he's blown up strutting with hens. But if he's out roaming around by himself looking for hens, and then all of a sudden you start yelping over there on that next ridge, he's probably like, oh, there she is. That's what I'm looking for. I totally agree you know? with that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's kind of what I'm looking at from a, from a big picture uh, standpoint. I guess if I come up there early season, you know, just to kind of break it down on a hunt-to-hunt basis. On an early season hunt, um, now I'm taking into account that they are still early in the breeding pattern, even though you say that you feel like maybe the season opens further into it. But either way, the first thing I'm going to try to do is try to get as tight as I can on a bird because I'm going to feel like I'm just going to take for um, for granted or, or just assume that he's probably got hens close to him on that roost somewhere. And maybe I'll get lucky and they'll start yelping before daylight and I'll kind of know where they are. And, but maybe not. And I'm going to try to get as close to him as I can. And I'm going to hope that he's willing to pitch down and come to me before he goes to them. Um, and, you know, maybe that'll work and, and maybe it won't. And if it doesn't, you know, my next move in the amount of time I have to hunt at that point is then I got to get real woodsman like and I got to get real kind of smart and strategic with my flock of turkeys. And I got to try to get in an area where I know they're going to kind of go. If they have a ridge top, they like to scratch and the hens do, or they have field edges that they work. I'm going to try to get in front of them, you know, maybe 30, 45 minutes in front of what I'm expecting their pattern to be. And I'm going to be real non-aggressive and I'm probably not going to call at all once, once I, you know, kind of confirm their path and I'm in it, you know, until I really get into that striking distance. So I'm trying to, you know, maybe, maybe get him another 20 yards or something. But, um, because, you know, if I know they're on the other end of a field and I start yelping, hoping they'll come on down the field, then they're probably going to go the other way. You know, I and mean, that's just what they do. They're just not, a hen's not going to come to you. Like, like I said, unless you're, you're playing that whole dominant hen thing. Um, you know, and as the season goes on, like I said, as the season goes along, I, I want to really try to figure out where the nesting areas are. Um, so I kind of know where my hens are going and I'm not disturbing them, but I'm also kind of getting a good idea of, hey, he's probably much like a much like a mature buck or any buck does in the rut. He's probably in this area because the hens are in that area. That's the last place they're going, you know, so he's probably been in and around this area this morning. He's probably going to be in here in distance of this area because that's where the hens are, are making their way off to the nest. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of focus on those midday and afternoon hunts later in the season uh, because they're just, you know, even I found even as the season goes on, that that natural tendency to go to the flock right off the limb, it's they, they carry that with them even even when the hens aren't really receptive. Mm hmm. And it's hard to break that unless you're just in the right spot. So, uh, not necessarily abandoning it, but just keeping it in the back of my mind that, you know, uh, that, that's my approach. So, uh, I don't know. I hope that's kind of an answer to your question. Uh, you got to kind of feel it out. 
Yeah, sure. No, I, I agree. It was kind of a, a little bit of a loaded question too, but I would agree that, you know, you, you just, we do it the most. You, you have to adjust all day long. You're adjusting, you're adapting, you know, it, it is patternable as they can be sometimes. You know, the next day you finally, you're like, okay, he comes down here and the flock meet up here and then they go off to this section of the field. And then the next day you're right there and he pitches off the complete opposite way and goes somewhere totally different. It's like, come on, man. Yeah, and I say turkeys are, especially in this regard, I would say that maybe preseason when you're scouting them and kind of their patterns are a little bit different, or their behaviors, I should say, are a little different. They're a little bit more patternable. But when those hens start getting bred and, 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 and the gobblers start busting up and really trying to keep those harems together and, and all that, they get the, the whole pattern thing gets kind of blown out of the, mm-hmm. they, they kind of do different stuff all the time. They may stay in a general area. And some of that is, um, terrain dependent. You know, I, I have been in, in places where the terrain sort of limits them. They don't have as many options because of where they live, which is unfortunate for them. It's fortunate for a hunter because it, it, it gives you higher percentage decisions to be made, uh, in how you're going to hunt them for them. It's not so good. But if you get to an area where basically every direction you turn, there's good habitat, there's good, there's good, uh, options for them. When they get in the middle of that breeding cycle and there's the hint, some hens are in, some are out and the harem's busting up and the gobblers are competing for, you know, uh, other birds are coming into their territory and they're, oh man, they, you, like you said, they, they pitch one way one day and one day the next day. And then the next day they won't even be there. Yeah. You know, just, yeah. they're on, you know, a mile away somewhere lost wherever they found themselves at dark, flew up gobbling, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, I, I can see that now. I know you're, you're a huge, huge advocate of, uh, you know, later seasons, so I guess I can ask you how you feel about, you know, the placement of Pennsylvania season being so late. I mean, we're one of the latest of the entire nation when it comes to that. But on on top of that, maybe I've always wondered, well, not wondered, I know why, but I've always wondered what other people's opinions are about the noon cutoff. If that's necessary more because our season is later and that's why they do it for the first two weeks, but then they open it up for the full you know, day hunting at the last two weeks. So I don't know if you have an opinion on that lock, but if if you want to touch on it, I'm going to say it this way. I've developed more of an opinion. Okay. uh, Over the last several years, because I guess just in, uh, you know, just, um, getting older and paying more attention, uh, to, to conservation and stuff like that and, and paying more attention to what's actually going on scientifically. Um, I like later seasons and mm-hmm. it's very simple because uh, I want the hens to get bred. You know, it's not that big of a deal for you to take gobblers out of the flock once the hens are sitting and nesting because the, the gobblers don't do anything for them once they lay an egg. Sure. They don't, they, they, the, the gobblers contribute absolutely nothing to the reproductive and recruitment of, of, of turkeys other than the breeding. So it stands to reason that there's two things that you introduce here. Early in the morning and early in the season is when you want the gobbler to be left alone so he can breed hens and make baby turkeys, right? Like in a perfect world. So 
if you just take that like very black and white, I'm not trying to say that things should be this way. I'm just trying to kind of come at it in a different angle. If you want to take it very black and white and we want to just look completely at the science of turkeys, wouldn't it make the most sense for us to leave them alone in the mornings and only hunt them later in the season? Right. Because then they're free to be unmolested and to breed and to make sure that the most hens possible are actually able to lay a nest. And then you hunt those turkeys later in the year. And you hunt them in the afternoon after they've bred all those hens in the morning and those hens are on a nest and they're secure and safe and, and they're tending to their nest. And, you know, so if we look at it from that perspective as conservationists, I guess our minds should always kind of be like, hey, you know, maybe I ought to just leave them alone. Let them do their thing in the morning so that I make sure all these hens are getting bred and I'm not in there. Even if I'm not shooting them, I might be up in there disturbing them and they're, you know, they're they're not tending to their nest. They're not going through their natural progression. And, and I'm, I'm not helping with the idea that, you know, we have a high mortality rate. We have a high uh, success rate or failure rate on the nest itself. So it stands to reason that the more hens that lay and the more eggs they get down, the more that are actually going to make it and be recruited into the flock. So I guess, um, you know, I, I don't know what my opinion may have been years ago, but uh, nowadays, as I look at it, for, for all these things that I just mentioned, I, I, I actually like the idea. I love the idea that um, Louisiana pushed its season back. And, and I, I live here and, and, and I know people around here. So I've been fortunate enough to have conversations with people that were involved in making this decision. They pushed the season back because their data showed that the majority um, con- contributors to the reproductive process were two-year-old gobblers and the majority of the gobblers killed in the early season were two-year-old gobblers mm-hmm. so why not push the season back so that these guys can all breed before our guy if everybody goes out there and starts shooting them you know um so with that just kind of general concept in mind i don't really i appreciate the half day from just strictly the concept of hey let's give them a break let's respect the fact that these aren't deer you know right. Um, they're not hardy animals that can survive in just about anything. You can put a deer in a one acre thicket in the middle of town and he can survive and thrive, right? Turkeys aren't like that. So just the general idea that we're very careful about how much pressure we put on them is a good idea. But, you know, I don't know how much good you're doing by not hunting them in the afternoon. That's the only thing about that. It does, to me, that other than you just saying, hey, we're just going to leave them alone. Well, yeah, it don't matter if you leave him alone in the afternoon because they're going to, st- that's why he gobbles. That's why he gobbles right. so loud. So that's so that he can attract hens. They're going to get together in the morning, regardless of whether they get split up in the afternoon or not, you know? <laughs> so, um, I don't know. That's kind of my thoughts about that. I, yeah. I, I, and, and I think, you know, for me personally, I, I hear, I can hear what you guys say, but it, I, I, I personally don't know. I don't have a personal uh, reference point to, to to draw an opinion on on on, on the population health of your area, mm-hmm. and 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 actually don't know um, what it's like. I mean, I know here it's very spring, but I got friends up in Pennsylvania, and and just seeing them on Facebook and stuff, it's still pretty much winter there, you know. Now, so maybe it's necessary that you guys are that late just from a spring perspective. All that stuff I don't know, but uh, yeah. But I, I, I'm all about conservation. I would agree. I mean, our springs have been much later over the last, I know two years ago or three years ago now, I was in, I mean, my full heavy uh, late season gear hunting on the first day. And I think it even snowed. And I have a picture with, you know, a, a bird that I shot in the snow. But 
you know, in the same sense too, I think I agree with a lot of what you're saying. And and let me speak as a hunting aspect for everyone from Pennsylvania, how frustrating it is when you finally get that bird away from the hens and it's 1150 or 1130 and he's gobbling his head off and he's finally answering every call and he's in on a string and then it hits noon and you just got to (laughs) stop. And it's, it's kind of, it's it's you know unheartening because you do all that work you bust your butt from sun up all the way till noon you finally get one that you struck up that's in the right mood and he's coming in and then all of a sudden you gotta let him go and then you kind of blow yourself out because you have to almost let him walk past you before you get up and walk out because <laughs> you don't want to <laughs> blow him oh, out that's the same way in missouri you know missouri I, as a matter of fact I'm pretty sure Missouri is that way all year. They don't even have, it doesn't even open up at the end of the year. It's half days the entire season. Yeah. I know a few states are that way. And I, I mean, I, yeah, I've, I have unfortunately not well, I've had that experience in Florida too, not because of the state law, but because I was on a, a lotteried hunt in a, in a public, public state forest. And on that lottery hunt, you could only hunt until like 1 PM. So I've experienced that in both areas uh it in in multiple ways i meant to say i've experienced it um from a standpoint of state park rules and from a state law standpoint in missouri and not that it really matters on the hunt and you know but it's kind of the same thing and and i say to that from the state park rule i get it like it's the, the, you stop hunting at 1 p.m because this is a publicly accessed state park and they can't just shut it down for a month while they do lottery hunts they've, they've got to limit the access with people with firearms in and out that's logistics and i get that um as far as the hunting part of it I, like i said i mean there's a part of me that kind of like you know, gives it a gives it a nod because I say, you know, I'm I'm kind of all for restrictive measures because I think turkeys are very vulnerable and and uh, you know as much as a hunter as I am, I want to be able to hunt every year and I want my kids to be able to hunt, I want my friends to be able to hunt, and I think that uh, I feel I feel a strong urge to be ultra conservative when it comes to turkeys because in my time alone, I have watched the turkey hunting change dramatically. And there's lots of factors for it, but there, you know, the hunting's not the same in most of the areas where I hunt as it was 10 years ago. And, um, so I'm a little bit inclined to be on the positive side of any uh, conservative measure, but I, I have to also say the only fair thing to say to that is what I, what I believe I understand from a scientific and biological standpoint. I don't under, I don't know that I can say that I understand what the reason for leaving the turkeys alone in the afternoon. You know, if you wanted to leave them alone, leave them alone while they're breeding. Yeah. Not yeah, while they're out it. walking around and they've already bred all the hens. Right. Let, let them, let us hunt from noon till dark. That makes yeah. a lot more sense in my opinion as well. Mm, well, and not only that, but think about how I look. I, I'll tell you right now, and I, I, I'm sorry if it offends anybody, but if you shoot a turkey off the limb, you, you don't deserve to, to be sold a turkey license. I, I believe that that is very unethical. And, um, but people do it. Yeah. And Dude, I couldn't agree I more, was, to be honest with you. Do what? I couldn't agree more, to be honest with yeah, you. I, I was hunting in Kentucky this past year, um, at, on a, on a, one of these competition hunts where we, we, we paid, um, to enter in and we had a piece of property to hunt on and we had three days and the biggest bird won the competition, you know, um, and we're on some turkeys and the neighbor 
walks right up right up the creek bank on his side of the creek at like, well we're set up on the other side just walks right up there and shoot look there's there was three big long beards that we watched the evening before roost in that area and along with a bunch he he walks up the creek bank he don't know what turkeys are there he just knows there's a bunch of turkeys up in the tree he walks up underneath there and shoots a jake out of the tree <laughs> oh man while there's three he now in his defense uh, not that I'm giving any defense, but in his defense, I'm sure he would have shot one of the toms if he'd have known. But yeah. that also goes, he don't know what he shot. He could have been shooting a hen. That's true, He too, walked up yeah. there in the dark and shot a turkey out of the tree. Well, lots of people do that. And in some states, it's illegal, including it, Kentucky. Yeah, including ours. Illegal. You can't shoot them out of the roost in uh, PA, Ohio. Those are the only two I know for sure that I've hunted turkey in. You, yeah, can, so, you can't so do it. So if you look at it from that perspective... um. Again, I'm not advocating that we do this. I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate for conversation's sake. If you took, if if you were to try to be, if you wanted to be radical in the way that you looked at things, how many turkeys are going to get shot off the limb in the afternoon? Not very many, no. because you know by the time they fly up, you know, unless they stayed out there till unless you stayed out there till after dark, you know, you're, the outlawing effect of people walking up on a turkey in the dark, gobbling and shooting them out of the limb, you're going to cut back on that measure. <clears throat> yeah, no, um, totally. You know, like I said, I'm yeah. not promoting that. There's no way that the, the, the tradition of spring turkey hunting is is to hear a turkey gobble at daylight. It's one of the, in my opinion, it's one of the greatest gifts that God gave us in nature. It's one of the most beautiful things there is. And I and I would never advocate for that to be taken away. Yeah, I couldn't just, agree like more. like I said, in spirit of conversation, when you ask, if you look at it biologically, if, if you're asking yourself, why do we do this? Well, why do we do it? You know, if the point is to offer conservation to the turkeys then from a scientific standpoint wouldn't it make more sense to leave them alone while they're breeding you know yeah it's a little bass backwards um yeah i I agree no i mean i I would never give up i if that was if that were the case in pennsylvania they flopped it from noon till the end of the you know till sunset i would be out there every morning just to listen to birds without a gun just to listen yeah. to the, that gobble, you know, uh, out on a limb. And we had such a good experience last year with it. It just was like, that's part of what hooks you. That's part mm-hmm. of what just draws you into wanting to go back and get up early and do it day after day. It, it's it's part of that experience we talked about. Yep. There's something magical about listening and watching the, the world come awake. Yep. Yep. With a turkey goblin. Yep, I've you know? always I've always called it that. The woods come awake, you know. Yeah, when everything wakes up and, and the world wakes up. Yep. And 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 you pair that with with turkeys goblin. It's it's. I mean, it's it's one of you know the most awesome things I think at least in in, in our uh, region nor- in North America. You know, with what we have to behold in terms of the nature that we have around us, it's one of the most awesome things. It's I've never elk hunted, but I would imagine a bugle oh, and elk yeah. would be one of the only other things that 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 could compare to it. Yeah, know? giant turkeys is what I've heard. <laughs> yep, <laughs> I want to I want to experience that as well. Yeah, but let's let's stay with scientific here because I want to get your opinion on a hard question that we asked uh, a little while back as well, and. It's in regards to a cicada hatch. We had a wonderful, wonderful cicada hatch here in Pennsylvania last year. I mean, there were properties that I went on that you couldn't walk through a high grass field without seeing 20 to 30 within a step. And, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you, have you done any research and how do you feel, you know, the cicada hatch is going to affect our poults 
survival rate and the overall population of turkey after a really good hatch like that? Well, what I know to be true based off of, um, uh, like evidence from Louisiana biologists, uh, a good friend of mine here, um, is a retired, uh, turkey leader here in the state and he shared so much information with me uh over the years he's been on my podcast and and just talking about the biology and one of the things that is very important to the uh, survival and growth of poults is their access to bugs and insects so a turkey will eat bugs grasshoppers crickets cicada all this stuff you know, their whole life, but they depend on it more at the young stage. And obviously when they're smaller and, and more infantile, uh, ready access to those bugs is insects is very important for them to be able to feed without having to be overly exposed to predation from hawks and other, you know, other animals. So I think that to answer your question as best as, as I can, from what I know, I would think that that would that would have to be a positive. Now, I don't I, I don't know how to measure um, that. Like, how how could you measure that? I don't know. But if you just you look at it again, I guess from a scientific point of view, if um, if access to insects is a big thing for poults, then it stands to reason that you should be seeing um, increased poult uh, recruitment into adulthood and so with uh, an abundance of food and and it's not so much I, I think i think the one thing i'll point out here is i try to make this point a little bit more depth you know a little bit more depth to this uh for the conversation i think the thing to point out it's not so much the uh the the amount of them it's the availability of them mm-hmm. yep. because you know if your poults can wander around in areas and feed without exposing themselves then it's kind of that more than it is just a bulk thing. You know, um, if you're in a situation where they've got to roam into really high grass and, and, and I guess maybe disadvantageous, disadvantageous type of scenarios to find that food, then there's more poults that are obviously going to be picked off by predators and, and things like that. So, um, if you're saying there's that many of them and this hen can really you know, keep a tight grip on these, this, this little flock of poults and they can feed and get all they need to grow and be healthy without, um, that much exposure more so to the overhead threat as they're feeding. It's, it's, you know, it's the hawks and the owls and all that kind of stuff where they have to get out in the wide open. Um, and then of course the snakes and the, and the, the, the bobcats and stuff like that when they get into the thick underbrush. Um, I think that, I think that means good. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, like I said, I don't know. I, I think that's one of the things, unfortunately, that would be really hard to measure. Yeah. But it certainly can't be a bad thing for your poults to be able to feed like that and kind of get to a, a healthier stage mm-hmm. quickly and without being. Yeah. Logically, logically, I think of it as, you know, an abundance of food, an abundance of resources for them, additionally to what they usually have. And on the other side, I've actually heard other people argue that cicadas provide food for some of the predatory um, animals as well, in which they can feed on the cicadas rather than, you know, eating the eggs or um, something along those lines. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that was a different way of looking at it, and I never thought of it that way before either. You know, uh, a lot of 
people around here will blame the turkey numbers and the decline to coyotes alone, but I never even thought about the hawks and owls and how many they pick off. I couldn't even imagine. I didn't even think about that either. Yeah, I I could not even imagine how many. We have so many red-tailed hawks and and big owls and bald eagles and eagles and everything else that would just have a field day on some of these poults. You know, I never even thought of that. Yeah, I know in 2018, uh, the in the in the at the uh, at the national convention in Nashville, uh, in in eight in, in I'm sorry, in 2019, not this year, but last year, there was a study presented that actually says the worst problem that we have is raccoons. From a nesting perspective. Now, yeah. I don't know. I, I still think the hawks and stuff are, are bad on the poults, but in terms of nest destruction, um, I, th- I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna attempt these numbers and, and nobody hold me to them because I can't remember exactly, but it was alarming. I think they said they put cameras on 60 nests or 80, I know it was 80 nests, 80 nests they put cameras on. And I think 68 of them were destroyed by raccoons. Wow, oh, man. In this one area. This was in the south somewhere. But um, the, and, and here's the kicker to it. Here's the kicker that really, uh, this, this won't necessarily resonate with you guys in, in, up in PA. But the idea, as I remember, and I'm, my facts may not be exactly right, but the spirit of what I'm saying I know is, is factual. They did this for a wild hog study. They did this to try to determine they found turkey nests in, in, in areas that had a lot of wild hog activity. And so they said, okay, well, let's do this and see how many times these hogs that are rooting around are coming up on a nest and eating the eggs. Because the hogs will do that. Mm-hmm. Their purpose was to, to, to try to prove the fact that the intrusion of feral hogs was a, was, was a serious detriment to the turkeys. And it is. But they were surprised to find that the raccoons were way more of a problem than the hogs. Yeah. In terms of nest destruction. Hmm. So one of yeah. two things are going to happen. I'm going to shoot every raccoon I see from here on out in the face. <laughs> or I'm going to invest in a whole lot of cat food and just set it out everywhere in the wide open so the raccoons go eat the cat food. You know the problem with that is <laughs> here's the problem with that. You that might work for some things, but if you if you've spent very much time a raccoon doesn't stop eating. Oh, they're horrible. We we capture. So, <laughs> I mean, and I don't. We don't live in like a totally rural area, and I think my dad trapped, live trapped twenty six raccoons last year alone, just in like the, the six month period, and and they're just coming up on the porch eating the cat food. And I they, don't think you can feed them all. I don't think you. I mean, I, it's an interesting concept. I'm just like, gonna shoot them all. Then. The cicadas and stuff that you might feed them off of, off of, but I don't know that you can. Yeah, I, I mean they're they're they are scavengers to the ultimate. They just don't stop. They're just if yeah. the, and the problem is, you know, the, the the hen gives it away, the scent and everything gives it away, and, and it's just too easy for them to find the nest. And you know, the only thing that you can do is 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 you know actually hunt them and control them in in that way. And I and you know the argument is is being made actively in the turkey hunting community by a lot of people that kind of the the underlying unspoken thing that's actually contributing to turkey decline numbers in lots of areas, it's not the low-hanging fruit, you know? The yeah. low-hanging fruit being, oh, well, there's a lot more turkey hunters. Oh, well, there's coyotes are just horrible yep. because everybody can can everybody can identify with a coyote, right? Um, oh, habitat destruction. Oh, this, this, this. I mean, these low-hanging fruit. What, what, what is, what's happening is people don't trap 
I was just going to say that. You know, there's just used to years ago, our, our ancestors and our grandfathers, small game and trapping and, and fur hunting, fur bearing was a really big deal. I mean, there was as many people doing that around North America as there are doing all the sporting activities of spring turkey and, and deer hunting. You know, fur bearing and small game was was part of what, you know, part of the frontier of this country. And nowadays we don't do it. So the yep. possums and the badgers and the coons and whatever else falls into those categories in different regions of the country, they're going com- almost completely unchecked nowadays. And I, I think that it's the it's the um, it's the silent killer in the room of 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 the in terms of the challenges of of turkey numbers. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people, man, there's a lot of people that are adamant about that, that say, hey, man, it's just it's too easy for you to blame it on on uh, turkey hunters and blame it on coyotes and bobcats. I mean, those things have always been here. People have always shot coyotes. People still shoot coyotes. There's coyote hunting competitions out there, you know. But the one thing that doesn't happen is fur bearing. Wow. You know? No, I That's totally agree with that, honestly. Eye opening. <clears throat> yeah, it really is. I never even put two I, and two together. I would like to see the NWTF come up with some kind of project to test that and, you know, maybe put a, a price tag, a, a decent price tag on, you know, the pelts of uh, raccoons and well the, yeah. the national national fur market the international fur market's been down that's kind of a lot well, of well that's the thing why, yeah why nobody nobody wants to go through all the trouble and the effort to do it to get pennies on a dollar for their effort to trap you know raccoons where yeah. back in the day my dad talks about it all the time when he was a kid he used to go run a trap line when he was 13 14 years old and he he used to get a decent dollar for a big raccoon, and anymore, it's not worth the effort. Yeah, I grew up trapping, and, you know, it was something I really enjoyed, and I just kind of got out of it now that, you know, <clears throat> working as much as I do and, and all the things, I, Other things I'm to already do. into, I just right? I don't really have time for it anymore, which, yeah, you know, it is what it is, but. It's definitely not a popular thing, but I, I, I would say that in my experience and, and just to my, in, in my little realm around me, the people that I know that are large private landowners that do the best job of habitat management, you know, that are always working on their habitat for deer and turkey and everything. Those guys, they still do it and they don't do it for money. They don't do it for sport. They do it as part of their management practice. Yeah. You know, the people I know that have the most consistent, stable habitat management are always trapping and doing their best with the coyotes and the, I'm sorry, not the, the raccoons and the possums, but you know, coyotes and stuff too. But, to the point that it's a part of their management and for everybody else, for the majority of the world, that's not a large private landowner that's managing their habitat. It, uh, to y'all's point that if there's not a benefit to it, it's just a lot of work. It's not, it doesn't have the same rush sporting factor that other types of hunting do that we also, why are you going to go out and run a trap line? If all you're going to do is just pull the animal off of it and there's no value there. You're not going to eat it. What are you going to do with the fur? You can't sell it for anything. So it, yeah, it's a conundrum. Yeah. No, I feel you on that. I definitely do. Now, Locke, do you have time for like two more short questions? Sure. All right, cool. So one thing that I'm I'm really interested in getting your opinion on more than anything is how do you kind of feel about the new, new-ish 410 hype for turkey hunting? So, I you know... I'm not, I'm kind of just in the middle on that, man. I, I read, uh, I know, um, I, I guess I've not gotten into it myself. I've not put a lot into it, but I'm also not on that. You know, I guess the social media is the, 
slimy underbelly of the of the world and <laughs> yeah, everything. Definitely. But um, you know, I'm also don't hold any of these odd, you know, like little man syndrome opinions about people that are doing it. Um the only thing I would say about that is I'm kind of an adventurous myself. You know, I've gotten completely away from firearm hunting for deer because of because of the the hunt. I like to get close to deer. I, I like the challenge. I don't care about killing deer. You know, the the killing, the being able to say I killed an animal, the the being able to experience that. I honestly, don't even really like the death part of it that much. Yeah. You know, and so that side of me says, man, that's kind of cool. You know, I think traditional archery is cool. And so for somebody to say, hey, I'm going to take less of a weapon and I'm going to come proficient with it and I'm going to be successful with it. There's something about that that's kind of cool to me, actually. And and the only caveat that I have to say to that is just be ethical about it. You know, if you're going to do it, then commit to the fact that I'm not going to take a shot that this gun can't do just to try to say I killed one with a 410. If I'm going to go out there, I'm going to spend time with this gun at a range or, you know, whatever, shooting this gun and I know its capabilities and I am going to be adamant and ethical within those capabilities. And if I have to turn down a lot of shots because they're just at the, you know, at the brink of the range of this weapon, then that's the commitment I'm making. Just much the way we do with bow, you know, we, we go bow hunting sometimes and, you know, look, I'm going to have to watch deer walk by at, at, at 80, 90 yards because I can't shoot that far with a bow. If people have that attitude, then I say kudos to you, man. I say, you know, it's awesome for you to push yourself and to get the most out of the experience. Because let's just be honest, none of us are hunting for survival. None of us. You know, um, if, if you took a, uh, uh, made an Excel spreadsheet and, and you, you calculated all the resources it takes for you to go to the grocery store and then you take all the resources it takes for you to get wild game. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? <laughs> Definitely. I hear it, it all the time. It really doesn't make a lot of sense. So let's just be honest with ourselves. So when you look at it from that perspective, I say, hey, man, if I, if I, if, if I want to say I'm a good enough turkey hunter to fool a turkey into getting as close as I need him to get to kill him with a more primitive gun, I, maybe I'm not using the word primitive correctly, but you know what I'm saying. If I'm oh, willing to do this because, hey, man, I want to win and I just want to be adventurous, I say cool to you just as long as you're being ethical. I like that answer, man. That's that's kind of the answer that I was looking for from you, and uh, you hit the nail on the head with that one. But now the other one that I was kind of looking at, um, we haven't really asked anybody this in a long time. We we kind of got away from it for a while, and I think you're the perfect person to kind of jump back into it a little bit. What's one piece of advice you would give to a new hunter? Maybe in your case, a new turkey hunter. I'm gonna go back to. A similar question that Walt asked me on the Chase and Tails podcast. Okay. He asked a similar question of this. Not exactly the same, but the answer I gave him, I'm going to give a version of that answer. And, and it's just strictly turkey hunting. Um, if I'm a, if, if I want, if I'm trying to give advice, first of all, you know, I guess like we all do, you kind of, whether you do it in a, in a, in a real direct or just a subtle way, you try to, you know, you influence people that people that want to take your advice and people that want to listen to what you say. Inherently, it's up to you to be responsible with how you influence them because you are influencing them, whether you intend to or not. You're going to influence them uh, your way of thinking. Is what you know. I think that goes without saying. Yeah. So, you know, when I'm doing that, I'm 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 talking to people along the lines of how I perceive the sport. 
And I'm trying to tell people, I'm trying to advise them so that they develop the kind of passion for the pageantry of spring turkey hunting that I have. Not just for the idea that I want to be able to hold a gobbler up by the neck and put it on Facebook and say, I killed a gobbler and I'm a turkey thug. I, I, I don't think that's good for, for any of us, really. I mean, it might be good for you and your Facebook following, but it's not good for the sport. What I want, just like with my children um, that I'm raising up in the outdoors, is I want them to, 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 to have a passion for it, right? Like yeah. not just a, not a passion for, for filling a tag, but a passion for the beauty and the awesomeness that is a spring turkey hunt. You know, listen to that bird goblin, you know, figuring out how that flock dynamic works and learning how to use turkey calls and learning how to strategize and be successful. So, you know, I know that that's going to be kind of where I'm coming from. So within that, what I'm going to try to try to tell somebody is, Hey man, the first thing you need to do is you need to like learn turkey 101 don't go out there and try to figure out okay like what's the quickest most advantageous way that i can kill a turkey what's the quickest way for me to kill a turkey so i can knock it off my list and say i've killed a turkey no like what's the quickest way that i can learn like just soak up this knowledge about that bird so that i can go out in the woods with a just a single call and i can figure out how to get in you know in the home range or maybe even gun range of a Tom, you know, without aggressive measures, being able to just be there in the woods and fool him to the point that I can figure out where he's going. I can, I can, I can almost disappear in his own world, you know, and I don't have to go out there and find a loudmouth turkey and get him all fired up. And, you know, I don't have to, you know, I don't have to make it this big production. You know, I can kind of really get in there and understand what he's doing. And, you know, to me, if you can teach somebody to start figuring it out, they're going to have those experiences with those aggressive loudmouth turkeys just by nature. It's just going to happen. But if their goal is to really understand this bird and their goal is to figure out how to do it on that kind of level, then they're going to learn so much faster and they're going to learn an appreciation for our style of hunting so much faster than if they just go find the first outfitter that makes the biggest promises and somebody throws them up my ground blind and here comes a bird and they shoot in the face and they take a bunch of pictures, <laughs> you know, like, you know, go out there and, and do it for real, you know, experience everything that turkey hunting has to offer. And don't just go on this, this quest of time and money to just, you know, check it off your list. Hey, I killed a Tom, you know, no, don't, in a matter of fact, be satisfied with, with being a lot smarter and understanding what you're doing before you worry about that check mark. You know, if that makes any sense, that's, that's kind of, that, that's. I find myself actually doing this. You say, what well, that's hypothetical, but I, I do this when people ask me, well, what do I do? Well, you know, what, what, do I, what, you know, this is what you do. Come with me. Let me show you, you know? Um, no, man, I couldn't agree more with that answer. I'm, it was extremely I'm, well articulated, honestly. I'm very, you know, and I try not to be, um, divisive. But I also don't shy away from my opinions about this because I feel like, you know, doing the podcast that I do and being a guest on other people's podcasts and stuff, I do want to share my thoughts about it because I think they're important. Because, Certainly. you know, I'm, I'm 38 years old and my son is 11. You know, I have a nephew that just got out of the Marine Corps. He's 23. You know, these, these, these are, and, and other friends and their, their kids. These people are important to me, you know, and, when they're 38 years old and they have an 11 year old little boy, I want them to be able to go and do what me and my son do. 
And conservation is the only way that's going to happen. And, you know, I'll go as far as to say I'll buck the I'll buck some of the common talking point that you hear. Yeah, we need to sell license. Yes, we need to recruit more hunters. But you can't just simply go sell more license. Money's not going to solve it. You got to raise a culture of hunters that understand that a wild turkey is not like a deer. And you can't go out and consider the way you hunt and the way you manage the wild turkey and compare it to deer management, like where we take so many does and we kill these many young bucks versus mature bucks. They're not the same. They're not the same animal. And they're a lot more vulnerable to the way we manage our habitat and the way we we hunt them and and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, understanding that we got to have an appreciation for the sport and appreciation and love for spring turkey hunting or it can go away. Not so much because of any legality, but just simply because the turkeys are, are a fragile, in my opinion, and they're, they're, they're kind of fragile. And, and I think that just developing that love and passion for the pageantry of the spring turkey hunt, you know, creates that just urge to conservation within people. And, and, and I can tell you that whatever my advice is, however the question goes, it, my advice is going to go in that direction because that's the kind of culture I, I want to create. I don't think I'm a crusader. But in some ways, that's that's what I want to see happen because I want to see this sport to get better and and be sustainable. One hundred percent, man. Totally, totally well said. I totally agree with you. Yeah, I would love to jump down the rabbit hole of you know everything as far as uh, you know burning and property management and everything that I think we could talk to you about for the next four hours. But we are getting there on time, and I want to yeah. be respectful to you, Locke. Um, why don't you take a, a minute just to – I know we've mentioned a few times, and I'm a big fan. If you don't mind just you know letting everyone know where they can find your podcast, where they can find your social media following, and uh, follow along on your journey this spring. Yeah, so my, my, my podcast is called Strutcast, and uh, you, can, you can go to strutcast.com. And uh, you can go on Instagram and Facebook and look up Strutcast or The Strutcast. I think it's The Strutcast on Facebook, and it's just Strutcast on Instagram. And uh, my podcast is hosted on SoundCloud, but it's distributed on every major network, uh, you know, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, all of them. So you can find it if you Google Strutcast or or search it on any of your uh, podcast platforms, you'll find it there. And I have a, a... a uh, Facebook group called Strutcast Listeners that is a is public, and um, I invite people to you know go there. There's lots of good conversation about you know I, I think today uh, or yesterday they had a bunch of guys on there sharing some some photos of a pattern in their shotguns and talking about different different choke tubes and different different shells. And I even learned a few things about some guns and shells that I have not actually ever shot. So there's a lot of that going on, and that that's a cool resource and. You know, outside of Strutcast, uh, again, I'm, I'm a big, uh, content creator for Scree. So you can go to ScreeGear.com. So you can find a lot of my whitetail and turkey stuff at Scree and T3Calls.com as well. So, uh, my name is, again, you said Locke, but my name is spelled L-O-C-K-E and, uh, Wheeler. So if you look up Locke Wheeler, you can find me, you know, just on my name on Instagram and Facebook. Dude, you're the man. If I can, if I can make a, just a, you know, the, I guess the only self promotion to it that I really have is I really appreciate you guys having me on. And for guys that are striving for turkey content, I think this is going to be a great episode, but that's why I do the podcast. I, I don't do the podcast for a living. It's not a profit thing. I do it just to share turkey stuff. So if you're craving that, man, please go follow Strutcast. 
And, um, you know, just go check out some of my video work. You know, that's, that's kind of where I make my hay in the industry. If you go out to Scree's YouTube and stuff, you'll see me hunting. I've got a deer hunt in, um, Missouri from this past year. I have uh, our Scree Country, uh, digital series. I've got successful hunts in, um, Missouri at right here in my backyard in Louisiana, as well as Kansas. And we killed some really nice whitetails on all those hunts. You know, so go check all that out. Um, you know, that's kind of where I make my hay is in the video world. But uh, I like podcasts, and as y'all can tell, I like to talk. So anytime you want to talk, call me up. <laughs> we can dig it, man. And Heck you know yeah. what? We're probably gonna have to take you up on that. Yeah, we're gonna save hey, your dude. number. I think anytime, man. I'm all, I'm 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 full of I'm full of stuff to say. Some of it's good, some of it's just rambling. But hey, that's what podcasting is all about. I guess that's right? right. We appreciate it, Locke. Everyone, go check them out. Yeah, guys, thank you so much for having me. Yep, thank you, thank you, man. Well, a huge thanks to Locke Wheeler for coming on. He's the man. I'm so sorry, once again, that it took so long to get this episode out. But if you guys listen to it, I mean, the dude's a turkey guru. Yeah, we promise good content. That's good content. That's good content. I'll tell you what. Come April next year, go back and listen to this episode. (laughs) (laughs) No, we'll get him back on. And you know what? He's not just a turkey hunter. He's a deer hunter. We'll get him on this fall and get him with some turkey some fall turkey information, some some deer hunting, and we'll schedule them back up again for spring turkey previous coming year. And mm-hmm. uh, you know what? I'll make sure I get it out on time. There you go. Well, this episode is coming to a wrap. When you're done listening to this, I want you to go into where you're listening to us, search, and search Lock Wheeler because that dude has some great deer episodes out there as well. Yes. he. I've listened to a bunch of his. That's the main reason we got him on is because I just love listening to his stories and his tactics. He has his own podcast. And he does have his own podcast with the Strutcast. Strutcast. So check that out. There's a lot of great turkey turkey episodes over there as well. But the dude's getting it done. And you know what? I appreciate him coming on taking some time out. Absolutely. Uh, we had a lot of fun with that episode. Yeah. It was a great episode and I really appreciate him coming on. While you're at it, please go check out Williams Archery in Edinburgh, PA. Do us another favor. Head over to VeteranIP.com. That's it. Check out the new combat veteran. It's absolutely stunning. We got it's a, delicious. We got what do you think about that pack? We got a couple new packs of them here, and you know what? I'm going to send this through something. It's, it's might nasty. be a squirrel, but it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna be something. If you waste one of well, you ain't wasting it because you can just pick it back up, pick it clean up and it, use off it again, and use it again. Yeah, but. I wouldn't shoot a squirrel with that. Yeah. That's what the that's what the it. practice judo point is for, man. Yeah, well, it's man. not really a judo point, huh? It's just like a deadly ass killing point. Yeah. Things badass. <laughs> now send one of those through a squirrel, groundhog, whatever you want. I might keep one of them in my quiver this year just in case I run into another groundhog. Don't do that. Keep them muzzy. I think it's illegal to have a, bro- a field point. <laughs> it's not a field point. It is. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a small game head. It's an engineered field point. It's a small game head. It's no different than a judo. Either way, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you do you, boo boo. Check your regs. Check your regs. <laughs> Check your regs. I don't know. <laughs> you can always find us. We're back on social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Check us out there. You can find us anywhere podcasts are found iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Podbean, all those fun places. Go check us out. We love you guys. Thanks for coming back. We're going to keep it strong for you guys. We're not going away. See you next week, boys and girls. Okay, bye.